Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. I am your host, Carmine of Red Team Review, and I'm joined here once again by everybody's favorite conspiracy theorist, Preston Jacobs. Preston. I, am I going to get kicked off YouTube now? Is that the idea? Is... <laughs> well, we, we will discuss that. But uh, guys, welcome back to the Thrones podcast. We're going to be discussing the surfeit of rulers on this episode. Yes, we're still doing Fire and Blood. We got to get through this. We're doing it slowly but surely. And uh, thank you for joining us on it. Part part so, five of 50. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Uh, as always, guys, we're available on SoundCloud and iTunes, so consider checking us out on those platforms. And if you do check us out on iTunes, please leave us a review. It does help out a lot. And uh, be sure to leave your thoughts and questions down below, because we might cover them like we are today. So today we're going to do something we haven't done in quite a while, which was... You know, take a look at some uh, questions and comments and just discuss it real quick. And for those of you who don't really care about the Q&A portion, then please skip to 42 minutes and 14 seconds in order to get to the book uh, discussions. Also, a quick note before we begin, you guys kept messaging me wanting to know if we would have more of the Thrones podcast t-shirts back up again. A couple months ago, we sold out of them very quickly, just in time for Christmas. So I'm happy to report we're selling them again for a limited time. So please consider checking that out if you're interested. Also, be sure to use promo code CHAD for 15% off your purchase. We'll leave a link below in the description. All right, so Preston, what's up, man? What's happening? How's it, how's it going? You, you just came back from a trip to Nepal. How was that? Oh, it was it was fine. I mean, I I had a wedding to go to. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a friend of my a friend of my wife was getting married in Nepal, and so we had to venture across halfway across the world to see that. But, yeah, you've been uh, you've been gone quite a, quite a long time. Uh, I, I think it was just last month you went to Madagascar. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. went to Madagascar, moved back to America, had to go to a wedding in in uh, Nepal. And so it's been very, very busy. Um, only certain ty- if if to someone that's apt, they can notice that only certain types of videos have been posted by me because I haven't mm-hmm. had access to my my larger computer. Uh, so that I, I produce certain videos on my laptop, and I produce certain videos on my desktop. And so you can kind of you know if if you have a keen eye, you can figure out uh, which which uh, videos I create on my laptop and which on my desktop. And for those who don't know, Preston is I don't I don't I don't remember if we discussed it in the last podcast um episode, but you're back in the US permanently. You're not, you're uh, not yes. going Yeah, yes. you're not in Germany anymore. So right now it is four fifty five PM. Same for you. Yeah, so, but man, you just time. you just exposed that. That means we're gonna have to put this out fast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Sometimes it sometimes, sometimes Carmine uh, records something and then honestly like two weeks, three weeks can go by before it, it'll be released. <laughs> what? And no. and sometimes it can be stale. We're talking about something in the past. <laughs> we'll be like, Oh my god, did you see did you see the Force Awakens? Oh, and then we're we're outed. <laughs> I, I noticed that last time because the last podcast we discussed individual one and we released that towards the end of January. Yeah. Individual one was like an interesting topic, <laughs> but like in the middle of December. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing. Let's discuss nothing timely ever. We'll just be but, like uh, those nitwits in Congress, you know, something, <laughs> something very general that no one will know. <laughs> and speaking of things that happened while you were away and while we weren't doing this. Um, so they, they released some season eight promo pictures. Now I, I'm going to be talking shit for a minute here. Oh, these promo pictures are so awful. Like they, they, they have nothing in them 
that makes it look like this is season eight. This honestly looks like season seven deleted scene pictures. That's it's really true. I mean, it it's true. Like. I saw the one with John and and Danny, and she, they're wearing the exact same clothes. Um, right. I guess you can you can somewhat tell the difference with Cersei's hair, um, <laughs> and then there's the big issue of of Jamie's armor. But mm-hmm. we can talk about that. I mean, but, well, let's talk about it right now because the only thing uh, that we noticed different from the pictures is. Um, uh, Jamie's armor. He's wearing Northern armor instead of his uh, Kingsguard outfit. Yeah, and Tyrion is clearly in Winterfell. Yes, so which is I to guess be expected. Sure, um, Tyrion's clearly in Winterfell. Jamie is wearing Northern armor. The armor is the same as what Rob was wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I suppose we all kind of wondered what's going to happen when Jamie when Jamie goes north because. He did throw Bran out a window, and is Bran going to be angry at that? But I suppose like Bran is catatonic, so he's not going to really know. But doesn't doesn't everyone know that Jamie threw threw Bran out of a, out of a window, or is it just Cat? Did Catelyn keep that a secret? That is true. Like like there is a whole like issue with that. Like what's going on with with Jamie and Bran? Because I, he did confess it to. Catelyn, no, she told Rob. I remember Rob uh, confronts Jamie about it, and he threatens Jamie with his direwolf. So I don't know if they told anybody. I don't remember, actually. Maybe. Actually, well, the, yeah. I mean, well, we don't know what Bran has told everyone off screen because clearly he told Sansa and Arya off screen about everything that Littlefinger did. Mm-hmm. So we have no idea what Bran is communicating, and and this is something that. Bran experienced himself in, in first season. He didn't even need a vision. Um, and then Jamie confessed it to Kat, and I imagine Kat told Rob, but did it make it to anyone else? Did Sansa, does, does Sansa, Arya, John, uh, Bran, you know, know about this? Um, or can Bran just keep it a secret? And- well, they did spread the rumor about uh, Jamie and Cersei's incest, which is, it's true, but, you know, and it did reach even Joffrey's ears in season two, and, um, you know, I, that's why Cersei slaps Joffrey in the first episode of season two. Like, he mentions it, and, you know, he, he kind of low-key calls her a whore, and she slaps the shit out of him. Right, so, right. Um, I don't know, maybe. And I, I, I would be, you know what's probably going to happen? Quote me on this. Bran will probably look at, jo- uh, at Jamie and they'll do, like, that, that non-thing that men do. And, like... Uh-huh. I know it's just they'll nod at each other. Or maybe they'll have like a very brief discussion on it. Maybe Jamie will apologize and Bran will be robot Bran and say, eh, whatever. Doesn't matter anymore. What's done is done. Right, and does Brienne know? Um Do you really think Brienne would care though? I mean at this point I don't think she no, I mean if she knew, she would have been told by by Kat, which means she 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 came to terms with it. But it doesn't mean she couldn't let the let the cat out of the bag and tell Sansa mm-hmm. and Arya. But, <laughs> cat out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, let the let the cat. Yes, pun. Let the cat's secret out of the bag. Yeah. So I guess I guess I'm, we're just assuming here because they don't have enough, they don't have that much time that that Bran is just going to keep it a secret that oh yes you you pushed me out a window. Um. Uh, yeah. I mean, the one person who really needs to hear this, and I would really love to see their interaction, is Jamie and John. That that still matters because one thing we forgot about, kind of forgot about, is the whole scene between uh, a Jamie, not Jamie, John and Theon. Remember when mm-hmm. Theon betrayed the Starks in season two? Blah blah blah. blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was still some lingering emotion behind that 
in uh, season seven when Theon and John have their little discussion. So I'm really curious to see Jamie and, and John. Back well, together. they the first season, uh, for it might even been the first episode. It was the first episode. Jamie takes John aside and says, "You know what a great job you guys are doing." with the Night's Watch, you know, sarcastically. And John, mm-hmm. John gets really angry. So, I mean, they're probably going to, in a sense, call that back with Jamie having another private discussion with John where he has to prove that... He has to essentially, you know, eat crow and say he was wrong because yeah. now he's going now he's going north to, to actually defend the realm against, <laughs> against Snarks and Grumpkins, which he mocked in the first mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, they're definitely going to parallel that. They can't not, right? Right. <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, those are the season eight promo picks. I mean, once again, there was nothing in them, and, and like I said, I was going to talk shit for a minute. I mean, people were asking me if we're now we're going to do a podcast episode on it. No, if if I was going to do individual video on it, no. There's nothing really there besides Jamie wearing that northern armor and the discussion we just had. Basically, sums up the whole thing. Tyrion and Winterfell, that's cool. I'm really looking forward to a his reunion with Sansa. That would be interesting. So, but beyond that, there's really nothing, nothing. I bet. Okay. Okay. Five bucks says he once again mentions the fact that it wasn't the, the, the wedding wasn't consummated. I'm going to get five bucks that, that that's going to happen again. You know, (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think anything else like, okay, will there be, is there any potential conflict between Tyrion and Arya? Why would there be? I don't think that that has ever been a. Have they ever? Have they ever even met? Do not think. Besides, at Winterfell in the first episode during the great feast there, like the Winterfell party when Robert arrives. Um, no, they shouldn't. Well, Tyrion isn't there when Robert arrives. He's at he's at the brothel in Winterton. Um, but he has to go to like dinner later, right? Where he's peeing outside and he runs into he runs into. John, but you're right. When everybody arrives and, they, and, they, and they line up the Stark kids, he's not there because he's at the brothel. And um, I guess it's it's kind of implied that he did meet all the Starks, but off screen, kind of like it's implied that Sansa was an asshole to John, and she mentions it, even though we've never saw them. Right, or or, or that Theon was an asshole to Tyrion, even though that never happened. Even though <laughs> Tyrion Tyrion was an asshole to Theon. Yeah, yeah, that that ah, that bugs me so much. It bugs me so much. Does it bug you as much as uh, Jiqui still missing? <laughs> no, no, it bugs me much more than Jiqui missing because because it's such a prominent scene in my mind because mm-hmm. Tyrion is such an ass to Theon. Like, it's such a jerky scene where he essentially says, ha ha, your dad's dead and your family went into a stupid war and you're a ward. And, so, like, and, and Theon was just like, hey, if you want to go to the prostitute, there's, there's this great one named, named Roz. Like, he's all friendly. <laughs> and, and, and and then they somehow twist it around and somehow Theon is apologizing to Tyrion. Like, oh God, like ah, oh, just take away all of Tyrion's edge. And, I will and, say the reason I will say Tyrion as a Westernman, the reason he gave Theon uh, uh Theon such shit is because the Greyjoys really did launch a sneak attack on Lannisport and a lot of men did die. So as a Western guy, you know, Tyrion Tyrion is still kind of like, you know, pissed off about that. He, you know, it wasn't that long ago, so... Oh, I mean, I, I think I think it completely makes sense for Tyrion to be a dick, because Tyrion is a dick in the book, mm-hmm. um, and then all of a sudden they, they make him into this perfect, you know, saint, as 
time goes on. Like, right. you know, which which is ridiculous. You know, this is a guy who murdered his his girlfriend and and killed his dad. I mean, let's never forget that. <laughs> um, yeah, and in the book, he's done you know much worse. Like, like you know, uh, ordering a guy be chopped up and put into uh, stew for for the peasants to eat. So, I mean, he, he's not a, he's not a great guy. And yet they they all of a sudden post post season four want to make him want to make him into the nicest guy ever, but whatever it's done it's done. All right, well let's get into the uh, Q and A and comments. Okay. Um, Endless Night says I'm still recommending that you two check out The Expanse. Currently the best space opera around. Even George R. R. Martin thinks so. I get a lot of messages and comments, even on my own videos, about checking out The Expanse, and a lot of people are are like really just pushing this and I, I'm almost tempted to do, to go watch it now to, to download it and check it out uh, almost. almost no I mean I'm very tempted everybody because every time we talk about the sci-fi channel like mm-hmm. everybody's like well there's the expanse you know um, and so I'm, I'm I'm very interested in it uh, I guess people people are finally getting to us after you know how many hundreds of, of <laughs> the expanse messages that we see in the comments yeah, we Fine. will probably check it out. And I mean, would you want to do like a like a like a season review if if you or a first episode review or? Because I always say we should, you should, whenever you watch a new show, you should always give it at least three episodes to see if it can like you know take you in and, and grab you. you okay. Know, if it can't grab you by the first or second episode, maybe the third episode would do it. Because normally writers they do have that three episode chance. Usually this is normally this is normally something best done for Netflix. Uh, like if you have to wait week to week to week, then mm. but this is mainly a Netflix test. Give it the three episode try. If they can't grab you in three episodes, just let it go. All right. So there's there's currently thirty six episodes. Um, so and they're already out. So I, yeah. I mean, I'm willing to give it like three a three episode chance. And if you want to talk about the first three episodes, all right. So you 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 and I have some homework. So we'll, we'll both try to watch the first three episodes, and then we'll come back and and, and talk about whether we liked it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and slip it in. I, I, th- I think I think someone told me Sci-Fi was going to cancel it, but then Amazon picked it up. Picked it up. I guess right. I guess uh, Bezos he he really liked it, and so he wanted to save it. Which is interesting, by the way, because I also want to talk to you later on, probably maybe in another video, that Amazon has a billion dollar uh, investment coming in to try and challenge Game of Thrones with uh, a book series that's very popular in China. Huh. I'll I'll talk to you about that later. But uh, speaking of uh, Sci-Fi stuff. Valkrin, he says, I never understood... How can you get the Valkrin wrong, man? The Valkrin. Valkrin. The Valkrin is an essential part of our... (laughs) of our... of our Thousand Worlds mythos. And possibly, if the comet is a (laughs) Valkrin, Game of Thrones. (laughs) My bad. I I guess this speaks to the the youth and inexperience in me, which we'll discuss in a minute. Uh, The Valkyren says, I never understood why they would want to adapt Night Flyers, of all of George R. R. Martin has written. Tuff's adventures are a thousand times more compelling. Uh, What is Tuff's adventures and why are they compelling? Well, it's interesting that that you know his username is the Vulcan, but then he throws shade on on Night Flyers. The, the Vulcan's from Night Flyers, mm. um, uh, and it, it, it's the huge it's the plot of of both the show and the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the of Tuff's adventures, well, Tuff voyaging. Um, so George R. R. Martin wrote. Um, it started out as only three. It, it started out as he had he had four stories that starred this guy named Haviland Tuff. 
who and then later on in the mid 80s he kind of said ah why not I'll I'll put it together in a in a novel and so he wrote three more stories and to to try to like link it all um actually no he wrote four stories he he had written three and then he wrote four for the book to to combine it all together cuz he had he essentially had half a book so he decided to pop it together um and it's just I don't know. He's it's a it's a it's a sci-fi story that happens in the Thousand Worlds universe about this guy who stumbles upon a ship that's uh, way more powerful than any technology in the galaxy. Um, so so in the Thousand Worlds universe, they're they're kind of it's much like Game of Thrones in the sense that they've gone through technological regression, and so thousands of years ago, technology was much better than it is at the present time. Um, and it's going to take, and even though the thousand world stories take place over the course of hundreds of years, they still have not gotten back to how good technology was, um, at one point. Mm-hmm. And so this ship was created during the height of, of technology. And so this character stumbles upon it and is now has godlike powers. Um, essentially in the universe because his ship is so awesome. The character uh, Tough. The character Tough. Mm-hmm. And Tough is really is a real unusual character. He's, you know, he's a misanthrope. He likes to he's a, he's a loner. He likes cats. He he's not very good socially. Um, all these weird things. And so it's odd that this like complete misanthropic weirdo now has godlike powers and um, it's about what he does with this ship. Which so this ship um, has the ability to create any any type of life through bio you know bioengineering. Plus, it's like incredibly powerful missiles and everything. So like mm-hmm. nobody can attack him because he could just destroy all of everybody. And he has the power to create any animal, genetically engineer any animal, um, uh, create and you know change all of the the biodiversity on light on, on, on a world. He can create life on a world. He can destroy life on a world. I mean, he's, he's, he's essentially God. And so it's, it's about what he does with, with this ship and his, and his newfound power. That actually uh, sounds pretty fucking interesting. I mean, I'm looking it up right here. George R. Martin said that the, uh, the Irish actor Conleth Hill, who plays Varys on Game of Thrones, he says that that actor would be uh, a good choice to play tough. So... I mean, I would, he wouldn't. That tough is bald, and he kind of looks like him, which is. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually sounds kind of interesting. I, I, I'm actually kind of curious now. Have you, you've, you've covered uh, tough in the uh, Thousand Worlds uh, uh, series? You've done. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So there's there's seven short stories that that take that take place that that follow him and mm-hmm. and what he does with his ship. Um, and so it, and the story never never really concludes. Like George R. R. Martin, if he wanted, he could continue to write more tough stories you, you never really find out what happens to tough um i mean he concludes this other plot with this um other character uh i'm forgetting her name but she's this like tall kind of uh, uh brianne brianne like character um that that tough kind of connects with uh and they, they resolve her story which takes place over three over three of the short stories but mm-hmm. You know, he could if he wanted to write more, but I don't think he'll he'll, he'll ever go back to. to well, tough he, he better not write any more right now because we want <laughs> we want this fucking guy to finish Winds of Winter. Uh, Matthew M on Twitter he says totally off subject, but can you impress and discuss Martin's short story Dark Dark Were the Tunnels? 
uh, because if there is one outside story that gives credence to Preston's post-apocalyptic Westeros, it's that. So what is Dark, Dark Were the Tunnels? Um, he's correct. I mean, Dark, Dark Were the Tunnels, it does not take place in the Thousand Worlds universe, but it's a, but it's a George R. R. Martin sci-fi story. It, it takes place on a post-apocalyptic Earth where the survivors from post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic Earth went to the moon. Mm. And there is, um, they've now come to Earth uh, to explore, um, to see if any life has somehow survived. And one of the reasons that they're going is because they have um, not enough genetic diversity in their gene pool. And there's too much inbreeding. And so they need to um, branch out and find other human beings. And if they find other human beings, you know, that'll, that'll help their gene pool and, and diversify and, and, you know, the society will do better. Meanwhile, on Earth, there are other human beings, but they're very, very different. They, um, they are telekinetic. They can control, they can essentially uh, warg rats, or at least our main character can warg rats. And they, um, they're also having a hard time because uh, these fireworms are coming up and like killing more and more of them. So in a sense, you have both human societies are dying off because there's not, a, and they need each other. Um, and I mean, I'm going to spoil the story, but you know, they do eventually meet and it doesn't go well because there's fear and misunderstanding mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they end up, uh, the visitors end up getting killed and, and it's too bad because the, the two societies really needed each other, both genetically, they needed more gene pool, but they needed a sharing of ideas and all of this. And so it's a sad story, but there's so many themes that appear in, in Ice and Fire from that story. I mean, even the rat cook, like this giant white rat, um, albino rat, like comes from that. Like the the ability to, um, like Vermeer six skins and his ability to warg uh, multiple animals at once and for them to be his eyes and ears and the satellites, like that's all from there. Um, this idea that we, we need to somehow open up and not, not be warlike and, you know, it, it, I do see the story of the others being that, like if the others are, are this genetically small pool and, you know, they, we need this sharing of ideas in order to, um, you know, stop whatever's coming. Um, so it's, it, it, I do think it's, you know, within maybe the top three stories of like themes that I think are, are really prevalent in, in Ice and Fire. Um, that George R. R. Martin has tried before. I think Dark Dark World of Tunnels is one of them. Like, just a story that everybody that, that reads Ice and Fire should read to understand how George R. R. Martin thinks. Didn't, uh, you said the you said Fireworm. Didn't he say John, John was some kind of fire, fire white or something like that? Oh, no, I mean, I'm saying, like, Fireworm, like, so George R. R. Martin is obsessed with, and, and in many, many stories, he has, he has worms that crawl through the earth. Like in um, Dune. Like in Dune or Tremors, you know, these like monstrous worms. Mm-hmm. And, and they're nice and fire as well. I mean, he talks about these worms. Um, and, and in the House of the Worm is, is another one that, that has them. But he, ta- he talks about these like worms are, are coming and, and, and hurting their society more. But I just say like fireworms. I mean like tunneling worms underneath the earth or whatever that are, that right. are you know, like, like the worms in Dune or, or, or Tremors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're kind of like that, but yeah, yeah, they appear. They appear in a lot of stories that he's written. 
So you're saying that people should read uh, um, this this short story to better understand George R. R. Martin, how he thinks, and maybe even use it to predict what's coming in Ice and Fire. Well, I mean, it's 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 a sad it's a sad story. It's a sad ending, but it's it's a short story too. It's not long, but. It just goes to show how George R. R. Martin thinks about genetics and how he thinks about war and how he thinks about peace um, and, um, and how he thinks about telepathy and how he thinks about regressing technology and regressing cultures. Because, again, this is like both societies have regressed and they've just re- – like the moon society has just gotten to the point where they can take off from the moon and make it back to Earth to explore, you know? Mm-hmm. And so th- these are – all of these themes, again, are, are in Ice and Fire. You know, it's just um, uh, interregnum, the, the word I, you know, the, the word that he uses, this, this pause of, of technology and, and getting back to the point, you know, of, of, of coming back. I mean, Ice and Fire is this world stuck in the medieval age where clearly the past was more technologically advanced. Right. And, you know, it's, um, and I, Dark Dark Road of the Tunnels does explain that a little bit, that, because they're such a small pool, they don't have any new ideas. And they don't have, like, it's not just a genetic thing. Like, like, so normally human beings, women can have lots and lots of kids, right? Uh, you know, a woman in her, in her lifetime could pop out 15 children. Mm-hmm. But if you're inbred, you can't pop out as many healthy kids. So your population is not going to grow very fast if you're, if you're constantly having, you know, if people are constantly having mischar- miscarriages and birth defects. And this is a problem with, with you know, inbreeding. Uh, they call it a population bottleneck. When, it, when a population has, has not enough diverse genes that it can't actually increase its population, which is, which is a sad thing. You know, like if you have only five of an animal left, what's horrible is the fact that even if you protect those five animals – there's not enough genetic material for them to grow because they're, they're just getting more and more inbred and you're going to have defects. So the next generation, you're going to be lucky to even continue five, you know, or get up to six. It's not like with a diverse population where you can just pop out a hundred, you know, on the next generation, mm-hmm. you know. And so Dark Dark World the Tunnels gets into that too. And, and there is this question, like a lot of people say, like, why doesn't the North have more people in it or like why does westeros's population why is it so small um why isn't the stark family huge if they've been around eight thousand years like why isn't everyone a stark why is there only 20 starks you know and population bottleneck might be an answer like there's, there's just so much inbreeding that these people don't have more than two kids they can't have more than two kids um and the minute the minute they go out of their population group with Catalan and with the Tully, you know, she pops out five kids, you know, and so <laughs> it, it, it these these are questions to ask. Um, and so you know, he makes that anal- he makes that connection that that one you don't want to have inbreeding uh, on a biological level, but you also don't want to have it on a, like a, a technology social level because you want more ideas, you want sharing. Um, the more people, the more the more outsiders that are part of your society, the better, because you get new ideas and grow. This is why you think the others are invading, because they need more, you know, genes in the gene pool. The, this, this, I do, I do believe this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to get back to Fire and Blood a little, Last of the Party mm-hmm. says, I love the Reina master plan a lot. I was on Carmine's side, that Reina got married to be independent from Rogar and the Crown, but Preston won everyone over, and uh, Conry Dubgale 
uh, doubles down and also says, I don't know why Carmine's in denial. Reyna is totally <laughs> gay. I'm not in denial. I just want to make this clear. I'm not in denial. I, I, I'm i down with it. It's just that, like, Preston views Game of Thrones through, through that suspicious eye, which, you know, quite frankly, is, is, is recommended. I just think that, you know, when you're in royalty, like, you don't have that much freedom. You know, you, you would think that the royals have all this freedom. Not really. They can't marry who they want. They have to be careful with their words, otherwise they'd start a war or an you know, international crisis. Like, there's, there's just a bunch of shit going on that... I would understand that she would want to get away from. She can't go to Lonely Light because, you know, nobody yeah. wants to fucking go to Ironborn territory. Uh, she can't go down the Arbor because the Arbor, even though it's beautiful, Tyrell controlled, close to the Citadels, the High Towers are also near there, and they're not too friendly with the Targaryens after all that's been going on. So you would think that the one place she would want to go to is Fair Isle, you know? The Lannisters are very friendly towards the Targaryens, especially her that side of her family. So... It's, it seems natural to me that she would want to go there and just do her own thing and be left alone. But, um, uh, but I, also, I also don't blame you. In the, it's the nature of language is, is, is to believe, is the default position with language is to believe what someone says to you. And then the, the, you then have to t- take the extra work um, to become suspicious and then counteract it. Which, and of course, politicians take advantage of this all the time. But... That's the weird thing is the maester says something and the default position is I'm going to believe it. And then only through like repeated checks and suspicion and time do you, does your brain go, oh, wait, I've got to undo that. And, um, you know, so right from the beginning, like it's like the maester was saying that Reyna, you know, was in love with her husband and all of these things. It's just, you know, you have to be, you know, suspicious and then over time, like check this. So no one should be blamed for for believing the first thing like that's that's how human beings work where mm-hmm. it's 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 a horrible thing though really i mean that we initially just believe what people say to us like as the default yeah like, why else why else would they say i mean the, the whole point of communication is to communicate facts and so liars liars are really frustrating because they're going against the entire point of language you know like i'm supposed to communicate my thoughts and 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 perspective and truth that I see and that's the point and then liars come in and, and manipulate and use that and say well the people are just going to believe what I say well Which... uh Martin Cross on Twitter shout out to him he's a good dude he I love I love what he says here he goes the difference in the focus of each is amazing Carmine is focused on the cute but gross sibling having a happy loving marriage and PJ is all up that lesbian gangbang alliance master plan which uh, by the way, have you have you made that Reyna master plan video yet? Um, I I have to. I think I have to finish the Reyna story before mm-hmm. I, I piece it all together. And I, it's not like I haven't read through Fire and Blood once, but um, our videos are helpful in the sense that I go back and I read them again and again. And it also helps because, so this is funny because Carmine will, will say, okay, we're recording tomorrow, so read up. And I'll be like, okay, let's, let's do it. And I read up and then I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. And then Carmine's like, yeah, I'm busy. Can we do it like the next day? <laughs> and so then the next day I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I read up. And so like sometimes because Carmine delays me, I end up sometimes <laughs> reading the chapter like two or three times, uh, which is good because you start, you start catching things uh, the next time through. I was gonna. I was actually gonna uh, come back to you about this. Um, 
But no, the whole Reyna thing. Yeah, I, I'm sure these guys, these guys are just uh, giving me shit. Which, by the way, I welcome. Please go. F feel free to do. It. I, I, I can, I can, I can take. Uh, I bust balls, and I can take my balls being busted. But um, no, uh, that, that's what. Now I get it. Now why George R. R. Martin is writing this uh, dictionary history book as uh, Gildane instead of himself? Because with Gildane, it does leave it up to interpretation. If you look, if you read yeah. it with that, with that in mind. But do we have to eat our own hats now, Preston? Because in the first in the first episode, well, not the first episode, but when we first started doing Fire and Blood, we kind of did say how this book felt a little unnecessary and kind of meh. And uh, now we're just we're just in, really enjoying the chapters. So do we have to eat our own hats now. Yes, yes, a little bit. Like now that we're into it and talking about it, and, mm -hmm. and it's kind of it's kind of fun. And I'm what I like is that we're into the new stuff. And I'll grant it to George R. R. Martin, his new stuff is better than the old stuff. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, um, the stuff on Reyna and Rugar Baratheon, uh, it's, it's the most interesting stuff so far, and it's, it's been really fun. Um, and while, you know, Sons of the Dragon and, and some of that intro stuff with, with Aegon that he wrote before, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't like it as much. Um, so I, I like what... I. I guess he still got it. George R. R. Martin still got it. <laughs> and uh, Joshua Hoffman says, Preston, you're starting to make me a believer in the old town triad being aware of the mm. genetics of dragons. You've always had me convinced George R. R. Martin has, has made this a thing. It would also further explain, though we already have plenty of good reason, why House Hightower was anti-Reyna in the dance. So we haven't gotten to the whole dance of dragons yet, and, and you know, Reyna, and, uh, but do you want to go into that real quick? Uh, yeah, the, um, but hold on, I have to check on, it's, uh, so the Reyna in the dance is a different Reyna. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I'm sorry, he, he, he's talking about Rhaenyra, my bad. Oh, Rhaenyra, yeah, 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 yeah My yeah, bad, my bad, that's, that's my bad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely think that looking at how special Dreamfire Reyna is and Rhaenyra and the dragons, um, I mean, re reading what... Especially, so we'll talk about this when we get to Surfeit of Rulers, but um, at one point, uh, Reyna's Dreamfire lays eggs. And that's a huge thing, because all of a sudden, you know, we see that, that she is special enough to have a dragon that has laid eggs. And, and these, these dragon eggs and dragon hatching is, is, you know, kind of a rarity. So the fact that, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, she's important enough for that really shows that that Reyna is something um and of course there's just this boom in, in the number of dragons around Rhaenyra and so I do think there's you know just something special uh genetically with Reyna, Rhaenyra, Daenerys and so you know and if we reverse engineer that and say okay well um if these people are so special especially Rhaenyra and Reyna and you look at how they've been shafted um it's uh it, it helps. It helps explain it all, mm -hmm. um, and we'll get this to this when, when we get to Surfeit of Rulers as well. Like when when Rogar Baratheon suggests when when they 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 lose Jaehaerys and he says, "Okay, well, what can we do?" And Rogar Baratheon says, "Well, I can I can try to use one of you know Dreamfire Reyna's children." Then everything falls apart for him, and everybody's like, "Nope, don't think so." Mm. Um, and so it's 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 an interesting move because um, that alternative was not something they uh, that Old Town wanted, um, and they, they they catch Rogar, and so uh, but you know this, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get into this it. Is, 
Yes. And uh, last question here is from uh, Monica from Patreon, and she says, this is the, the thing I wanted to uh, discuss with you at the start, um, YouTube is saying that it plans to stop promoting conspiracy videos. Do you think that this will have an impact in, the, in any future theory videos from Preston or anybody else in the Thrones community? So for those of you guys who don't know, YouTube, they always love to try to... They, I understand where YouTube is coming from. They have you know the best intentions, but they always shoot themselves in the foot. It happened with the yellow dollar sign. Uh, you, uh, you see it every year with um, you know uh, uh, a year in review with YouTube where they just really don't know what the hell is going on in their own platform. And they're th they're talking about actually removing the dislike button. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And now they're trying to uh, Red Reddit Reddit did that for a while, uh, it's not for long, but they removed they removed the dislike button for for a second. I don't remember that at all. But yeah, so YouTube is is coming in to try to uh, remove like uh, you know the flat earther stuff and you know uh, conspiracy videos like Ale the thing that Alex Jones was saying how the Sandy Hook massacre was fake. You know, I understand where they're coming in. The moon landing was fake. I understand they're coming and try to, like, remove that because it's really, it's it's quite insane. And this is also a response to the whole anti-vax movement going on right now where people are, like, so, like, convinced that vaccinations are, are giving young kids autism. Like, it's crazy. But I, I this is where YouTube is trying to, like, you know, remove that stuff. But, like I said before, YouTube always has the best intentions, but they shoot themselves in the foot every single time. Do you think that maybe what she's trying to say here is maybe that in their quest to try to remove, you know, misinformation from being promoted and advertised, do you think they might hit you a little with it? No, it's completely different. Uh, I mean, that's what I know. It's completely. This is fictional conspiracy. This is fictional. Theory. This is fictional conspiracy. But you, and... you really, you really trust YouTube to know the difference. Yeah, I'm sure they'll have some sort mm. of uh, like mm. recourse thing. I mean, you don't remember talking... what happened with with us a couple of months back when we uploaded that two hour long pod, almost two hour long podcast, and they hit me with a yellow dollar sign. So I put manual review, and they fucking like put it back to green in like six minutes. Yeah, like there was no manual review. Nobody fucking looked through. Nobody watched that. They're well, supposed I, to watch the video. They didn't watch I mean, an hour. No, they didn't. They didn't watch it. But but I'm sure there'll be recourse. Like it's just, you know, this kind of stuff happens all the time where where someone someone will. I get sometimes someone will flag your like a video and claim claim that they own the copyright and mm -hmm. you're just and it's just some like uh, shell company and and, and then I then I you know um, re re repute it and you know I get it back. Right. Um, this ha this happens all the time. So it, the same thing you know even if it's automated they'll have some sort of me you know mechanism where they'll say okay oh you're not a conspiracy video or you're not actually hurting people. I mean, when we talk about conspiracy, we're talking about when we're talking about real life. We're talking about these people that believe that you know there was no uh, shooting, you know there there was no school shooting or something, and they, these are all crisis actors or something, and right. or or people that show up at <clears throat> oh the, that motherfucker that that um, that was promoting those motherfuckers that were promoting uh, comet ping pong as being a child sex tra trafficking ring, you know, for Hillary, mm -hmm. you know, and where, where a, a guy actually, you know, got a gun and went and tried to, you know, rescue these fictitious children and right. people, you know, people almost got hurt. So, you know, there, there are situations where people really get hurt. Um, we're, we're talking about theorizing a, about a book, like, come on. The reason, the reason I, I say, world. the reason I say I don't trust YouTube to know the difference is because 
So the yellow dollar sign thing was originally put in place to prevent um, gross and disgusting videos, usually with kids involved, like Elsagate, that whole thing, mm. from being monetized. Because advertisers don't want to put their ads on videos where kids are being exploited. I get that. But at the same time, though, that didn't, didn't turn out great. Nerd City had a video where he showed that when a video goes from green to yellow, I think there, there's like a one that goes to a zero in the code of the video. And that code is in there to let advertisers know that ads are okay for this and you can promote the video. Sometimes wrong, the, the wrong videos get falsely you know, accused and they, they, get, get, they get the yellow dollar sign. Even when they go back from yellow to green, that zero does not go back to a one, which means there are still almost no ads on it and it doesn't get promoted. So you may get hit with this be, and you may ne never even know it because your videos might not get promoted as much anymore. Or you might see, uh, you know, some low income from your videos as opposed to other ones in the past. That's why, because um, we were talking mad shit. We were we were laughing and talking mad shit about it when we discussed Watch Mojo briefly a while back um, mm. about the, the the hitting the bell button. That's why the bell button is important because it does let your subscribers know that you did upload a video. Uh, in the past two years, this has happened only three times, but it does happen. You upload a video, I didn't get notified about it. I didn't see it in my sub yeah. feed. So yeah, it happens. Well, who knows? I it YouTube is going to do what YouTube is going to do. But the thing is, these aren't conspiracy videos. Like, like that's not what these are. These are. I know. These are, these are you know, analyzing a book and talking about a book. I know, we're, but we're, but, but I just I, I just don't trust YouTube to know the difference. I don't, and they and they don't and they don't use manual guys. Like they don't use guys that come in. No, no, they have too many. There's too many videos for them that's to right. do that. Like. Mm -hmm. But, you know, well, yeah. That's right. We'll Preston see. fans, please uh, go follow Preston on Twitter because he posts all his videos on Twitter and Facebook and hit that bell sign. I know he won't tell you to. And I never understood why you kept hitting, getting hit with the, with the yellow dollar signs and I didn't. But nonetheless, we're probably boring people with this YouTube talk. It's so... <laughs> no, yeah, no. So uh, definitely, uh, Preston fans, please hit that bell. He'll never tell you to because, you know, I understand, you know. But hit that bell button, follow him on Twitter just to make sure you're still getting his stuff. Because uh, you're more in danger for this than I am. I don't do theory videos, so it's all on you, boo. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's book theories. It's not like they're going to shut down everybody that's doing theories on Star they Wars They won't, or they won't, but they won't promote it as much. That's the problem. Yeah. All right, so Preston, let's finally get into a surfeit of rulers. And uh, yeah. I got to say, this, this chapter was... Uh, was classic game of thrones it really is like i've all i've been saying this through like the past couple episodes we've covered fire and blood they really need to make this book into like the spinoff this should be the spinoff every chapter should be its own season and this would be probably one of the best this would probably be the i would argue the season three of the spinoff stuff because this is great and yeah i, I mean it's I really funny it's it. funny that we're liking the new material much better than the old material you know because <laughs> when you when you go see a rock band you always hate the new material and you want them to play the old favorites. Mm -hmm. um, but here, George R. R. Martin, he's he put a lot of thought into the new stuff, um, which is which is really on the which is the stuff on Reyna and Jaharis and the old stuff, Sons of the Dragon and um, the Dance of the Dragon stuff later on. It's it's a little more stale. It's not. Um, this is even though it's historical. We get we do get some character. We get mm -hmm. we get a feeling of the characters, and there's just so much scheming and and 
nets of everything going around and it's it's great it's classic game of thrones you're right classic a game of thrones but i will <laughs> say there's not as much scheming going on as we like to think mainly because we're not seeing it from the the character's point of views this is all gildane who's the historian here right and this is stuff that he's reading about and that he's telling to the audience but uh there are some points here and there that i felt they could have added a bit more thrones-esque elements to it and we'll get to that mainly with rogar mm. but uh you want to start off with reina first right sure i mean the the, the chapter re- i mean really briefly it starts out with this this uh quote from septon barth which shows that gildane kind of has bias bias towards the faith um and again I'm, maybe this is confirmation bias but i'm always seeing like old town conspiracy stuff and i just want to say like it starts out all of a sudden admitting that there's this big tension existing in the realm which the previous chapter claimed that there wasn't you know mm, the previous yeah. chapter claims oh it was a peaceful year and then the next chapter they which is actually you know it's supposed to be about the year 50 but actually he goes back into the year 49 and starts talking about all of this tension between reina uh rogar and jaharis which we sensed uh, when we read between the lines but Maester Gildane was just lying in the previous in the previous chapter. So, I think so, when he said the year of peace, I think what he meant was like there was no wars going on. Yeah, but this just build up, build up, and, and and scheming. And he admits that three of the of the seven kingdoms. Well, actually, three of the six, because there's only there's only six kingdoms in the seven kingdoms at this point. Mm-hmm. Three of them are calling Reyna the queen. Uh, so. And yet he's also saying earlier that, oh, Jaehaerys was the undisputed ruler. Which one Come was on. the, the three? I know it was uh, the Westerlands. The Wester- he says the Westerlands, the Riverlands, and parts of the Reach. Mm. Which is, that's pretty much, you know. What, what does she call the Queen in the West? Queen in the West, yeah. So, right, uh, do you want to get into Reyna now? Sure. I mean, Reyna... Reyna uh, so somebody had asked, okay, what's, what's uh, Reyna's network and uh, of of allies um Mm -hmm. somebody asked me to do homework on that and so um it's mostly the riverlands minus the tullies because the tullies are very faith oriented because uh, lord tully is married to a broom sister and the broom sisters are heavily into the faith but it seems that the rest of the riverlands are pretty pro reina the westerlands seem to be all pro reina and parts of the reach as well. Plus, um, besides those big three, we have uh, her girlfriend, her ex-girlfriend crew. So her ex-girlfriend crew, where you think she has inroads, where you know I think she has inroads into those houses, would be you've got her ex-girlfriends are Melanie Piper, who's dead at this point, but mm-hmm. later on they gather at Pink Maiden. So it seems like they're still she's still good with House Piper. Um, and then there's Elaine Royce, the Royce is being the second most powerful house in, uh, in the Vale. And with, you know, the, the Aarons are still probably in disarray after, uh, the succession and, and the death of, of the Ronald Aaron, the, mm-hmm. the Lord who flew. And then there's Samantha Stokeworth and so of, of the crownlands and that's you know right there next to the capital so you have this you have this very powerful house that's right there next to the capital that could possibly you know invade and, and cause trouble right there so you know reina has some some good um footholds different places plus 
she was the Lannisters have a marriage with the Red Wines who have a fleet. Um, it turns out I, before I said it was Lyman Lannister because they'd said that the heir uh, married a Red Wine. Um, but then later we find out that it's not. So I guess uh, Lyman Lannister's had a brother who died or something to make him uh, um, not married to a red wine, but somehow the heir. So anyway, Rain has got some great allies. What it looks like she's got connections in in half the kingdom. And yeah, she them, she yeah. essentially has her own little clique. It kind of reminds me of high school. She has her own little clique of these girls, and occasionally her husband Andro. He's in on it too on Fair Isle, and it's the point where like what are they? They're always together to the point where what do they call them? The four-headed beasts. Right, the four-headed beasts <laughs> is is Elaine Rose, Samantha Stokeworth, Alyssa Farman, Andrew Farman, and um, Raina. I guess that would be five though. He man. doesn't come in. He they, they, he's not in it long enough for there to be the five-headed beast. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But uh, about Andro, like. Gildane says that he's not strong enough to be a warrior or smart enough to be a maester. He's just kind of there. Yeah, he's just there. I mean, he's he's clearly her uh, Reyna's beard. Mm-hmm. Um, he's her he's nobody. He, yeah, he's nobody important. Yeah, uh, and well, supposedly she chose her. She she chose him for his kindness, which I can understand, especially in the medieval times. You know, where women are treated like crap all the time. Finding a guy that can treat a, a female with kindness like that, it, it's not rare, but you're not going to find it that often, especially among the highborn. Yeah, yeah. Um, another interesting thing about Reyna is it, the, the, Gildane has an interesting line where he says that Reyna always called Jaharis my baby brother and didn't want to call him Jaharis. Mm-hmm. Of course, the joke of that sentence is she never calls him king. Yeah. She always calls him my baby brother. And he's like, oh, because she, he wouldn't call her... He, you know, she wouldn't call him Jaharis. No, the important thing is she's not calling him king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she believes she's queen. And um, all of that stuff earlier that Gildane was saying, that everyone had agreed that Jaharis was the ruler, is ridiculous. Like, clearly Reyna uh, is is vying for power, and, and half the kingdom thinks that she's currently the queen. So, she's the queen in the West. And when yeah. I say, and I, I'll give Gildane the benefit of the doubt here, when when he says everybody agreed that Jaharis would be king, I, I feel like he excluded Reyna because she, once again, like I was saying before, I felt as though the reason she went to Fair Isle is because she wants to stay far away from the whole political bullshit. She just wants to do her own thing as far away as like she possibly can. Like right. she does, she doesn't want to go to Lonely Lake because ugh, no, no, nobody likes the Greyjoys or the Ironborn. <laughs> nobody, she can't go to the Arbor that's way too close to the Citadel. She's gonna go as far away as she can from King's Landing, which I guess would be Fair Isle. She can't go to Bear Island because Mormont, ugh. but she'll go to she'll go to Fair Island because you know her her family her her parents, um, and her uh, uh, her husband also uh, had an, uh, somewhat of an alliance with the Lannisters as well. And we shouldn't we shouldn't forget the Daenerys parallels that Daenerys doesn't want to go to Westeros for. A couple reasons. One, she needs to wait for her dragons to grow. Mm-hmm. But two, you know, she doesn't have the experience yet um, to to conquer and rule a realm. Um, and so we have to think that Reyna is doing similar things. That perhaps she's waiting for Dreamfire to grow bigger, and perhaps she's you know hoping to get wisdom and experience as well before she wants to try to take over uh, 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 the whole kingdom. 
Well, to be fair, you can't really have a lot of wisdom. You can't really get a lot of wisdom overruling people at, at Fair Isle. You kind of, in comparison, like Daenerys had all of Marine, which I'm assuming is way bigger than Fair Isle. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, we have no idea how big Fair Isle is, but yeah, Marine is a huge city. But and the other thing is, there's this stalemate. Reyna has Reyna has a dragon. Jaehaerys has Jaehaerys and and Alysanne have two dragons, and so she can't really take over. She's she's lacking one dragon, so she can wait and see what happens. You know, maybe maybe you know eventually there would have been a split. You know, um, we. When she ran off, we had no idea who Alisade was going to marry. So we had no idea what, what was going to happen to that second dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, she might have been hoping for some sort of uh, political, uh, you know, workings. I mean, this is obviously a big, you know, big parallels to the Cold War about, uh, you know, what people do when they have nuclear weapons and how they have to be uh, careful. And, and this is a sense essentially there's no hot war here but this is what i think i think i'm going to name this like the cold dance like like there's wait, no wait, what, what was the name before the proto dance the, the proto dance the pro yeah the proto dance before the but i think well, i'll think i think a better name for this is the cold dance of the dragons mm-hmm. the, the 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 war between reyna and jaharis uh for for the throne because you know we're not we don't have any battles going on but there's definitely a war you know but it's it's a war behind the scenes it's it's scheming it's it's uh alliance making it's it's trying to get you know little blocks here and there right um, but there's no big you know there's no big attack between our two big forces and it's also believed that Reyna here married uh, Andro as kind of like a thank you to his father for granting her refuge on the island. And that she actually is really in love with Andro's sister, Alyssa, who is, who is like essentially like art, the aria of this chapter or this story, I guess you would call it. Yeah. She, she loves riding horses. She loves doing this. She loves, you know, uh, looking at hawks and all that stuff. She loves doing basically all the guy stuff. She's a, I, would, I would argue she's a tomboy. Yeah, I mean, she's... George R. R. Martin loves this character. I mean, he rewrites <laughs> this character over and over and over and over again. Like the Asha, it's it's the Asha, Arya, uh, uh, Liana, um, Elia, Sand, the arch, the uh, archetype. Yeah, like this, this, this strong, this strong tomboyish, um, gender bending character who's mm-hmm. who's super who's super powerful who's beautiful yet tomboyish and wild um likes and to do her own thing likes to do her own thing he, he loves this character he loves he loves it and that that's who she is she's she's another she's another asha aria uh, liana uh, character but not all is amazing on fair island for long because andrew's older, andrew's older brother franklin he's not too fond of reyna and you know, mainly because he feels like she just comes in and does whatever she wants without any respect, which sounds like jealousy on his part that, you know, many people come to her from far away just to Fair Isle just to have an audience with her and not them, essentially. And it sounds like jealousy to me. And I, I understand where he's coming from also because, you know, he fought on the battle and he, she doesn't seem like, you know, to have much respect for him. And it's just lounging around doing whatever she wants. I, once again, I understand where he's coming from, but it really does sound like a lot, a lot like jealousy. Um, but we also have to ask about birth order. Um, who is older, Alyssa or or? or um, and this this is an important thing. 
No, I guess his eld his it says his eldest son, but we're not sure if it's his eldest daughter or his eldest child. Mm-hmm. This is the this is a kind of a big deal because if Alyssa is older than Franklin, um, I wish we knew that. I wish we knew the the birth order, the birth order, but we don't know the birth order. But if we if she were older than Franklin, then um, uh, then we have a feudal dispute because say Reyna becomes queen over Jaehaerys, then we're establishing you know kind of Dornish like succession where where the eldest child uh, gets gets the right to everything versus the eldest male, mm-hmm. and so I could see him not liking um, Reyna because of what she represents. She represents the eldest child taking over things and so if 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 Alyssa is older than franklin then he his um his right to fair isle is is in question right so i i do wonder if that's part of it mm-hmm. well when uh franklin and Alyssa and andrew's father lord farman dies almost a yeah. year after reina's marriage uh, Franklin made his move, and he told Raina to get the hell out, take her company with her, with the exception of his sister Alyssa, who he wants to marry off, obviously for political reasons. Yeah, yeah. And the maester on the island, uh, Maester Smike, uh, he basically crapped his pants because he could see the anger in Raina's eyes when Franklin told her to get out. Like he, for a, what did he say? For a minute there, for a second, he could see like all of Fair Isle in ruins. Oh yeah, but he he also has he's also has fear in his eyes because. I mean, come on. We know we know who put that idea in his in in Franklin's head. I'm sure the Maester put that idea in Franklin's head. Mm. Um, and so he's scared for himself. Uh, because, I mean, this is this is probably the faith again, because the you know the faith of the Seven and the Old Town Conspiracy is clearly against Reyna, and so they're they're seeing a problem with her gathering forces here on Fair Isle and trying to rule in the West from this seat. Right, and so if you know if the if the old town faith is is probably feeding Franklin information as well because he's not he's not doing action without consulting his maester anyway, mm. and and so he's you know of course that maester is going to be scared because who put who probably put all those ideas in Franklin's head, but yeah they they're trying to neutralize Reyna before she can she can gather gather power here yeah, at least in my my opinion <laughs> well we do learn you're, you're you're you may have something here we do learn because Alyssa she tries to leave fair isle with Raina's friends but franklin tries and stop her the small folk love uh Alyssa, so they uh they allow her to escape by attacking him um yeah. but as soon as Raina gets the casterly rock we also uh find i don't remember if this was before she gets the casterly rock or around that time but Raina's dragon hatches a couple of eggs three of them i believe <laughs> Yeah, and this is huge, huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge. Because, right, again, the number of eggs being laid and hatched uh, is not not large, okay? Uh, so at this point in our story, you know, since Aegon's conquest, which has now been 150 years, um, there has been... What, we've, got, we've got one, two, three, four... Five eggs and five known eggs and dragons have hatched in 150 years, and so now we have a clutch. Um, of is is it? Did they name it? Is it three? 
Or does it, does it say how many eggs there are? I believe it was three because um, while she's at Cashley Rock, uh, her situation there becomes complicated because most of their servants yeah. were like spies for Lord and the Lady of House Lannister. And uh, um, I mean, I imagine it's three as well because we're paralleling Daenerys mm-hmm. here, you know, and, and everything uh, about that. I believe, uh, I believe, uh, I forgot her name. I don't think it's Jocasta. I forgot her name, but uh, the lady uh, Joca- Jocasta Tarbeck. Is that her name? I th- I think so. She uh she wants um she wants yeah. Reyna to gift House Lannister one of the eggs as kind of like yeah. a thank you uh gift. And when I think I believe Reyna declines and then Lyman's like, We'll pay for them and he offers an ungodly sum of money for all of them. Right. Yeah. And this is this is of course the you know, we're paralleling Daenerys and her and her arrival in Karth mm-hmm. and how, how desperately that you know they everyone in Karth accepted Daenerys and they're like, Oh yes, you're you're our queen and everything, but really we want something in return. And this is what Reyna is finding that oh yes, all of these people are claiming that she's queen, but they're they're claiming she's queen because they wanna they wanna get something out of it, which is expected. Uh, you know, she should expect this, that that you you have to give things to your spoils. You have to have you have to rule with an open hand. Right. Um and so of course you're getting you're getting these same things happening. But yeah. I do like how the Lannisters here, she even says it out loud cuz she knows what they're trying to do. She goes uh, Lyman was uh, was raised with the whole like, you know, tale of the field of fire in the back, back of his head, and he wants how she believes that he wants House Lannister on equal footing with the Baratheons, High Towers and Valerians. She mentions the High Towers. Um the and the Valerians, t- which is the, yeah. the Valerians thing is is really interesting too. But because the but Valerians, it makes sense. In, they're close to the Targaryens. It makes sure, sense. but in the modern story, the Valerians are, are nothing. You know, mm. they're nobodies. There's only we only see one of them, right? That uh, the bastard of uh, Driftmark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess the, because we don't hear much about them even in the Blackfire Rebellion. Like we don't know which side they were on on in the Blackfire Rebellion. That's like huge, huge thing that I'd love to know about. Um, but I think their house was perhaps just went into decline after the Dance of the Dragons. Um, they, I mean, they were they were so important up until the Dance of the Dragons, and then they then they just kind of disappear. And yeah, we hear of, we hear the, until we hear of you know the bastard of Drift, Driftmark, and that's about it. Where he where he takes all the uh, yeah. the ships that Cersei gave him, and he just goes off and becomes a pirate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, I, she mentions the High Towers as well. The High Towers are on an equal footing with the Baratheons. I feel like the Baratheons have a bit more power than the High Towers, considering how close they are to the Crown right now. I mean, they 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 should. Um, but I guess the Baratheons are still kind of up jumped at this point. Mm. But it is interesting that they say, you know, the most powerful houses, and we're gonna we're gonna mention, you know. Um, the Baratheons who who are up jumped, but you know, we don't even mention. They don't even say the Tyrells, right? They, she says equal footing with the High Towers, Baratheons, um, and Valerians. But it's interesting. I mean, interesting in that it's those three. Right? Well, the Valerians, like they, they've held a seat on the council ever since um, uh, the first Aegon. Yes, yes, so, and, I, and I, I admit that, like, okay, they're super powerful. That you know, they're there with the Targaryens. They have all of this money. And isn't um, the Queen Regent Alyssa? Isn't she a Valerian? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the Baratheons. Um, who, who, you know, were also the big friends of the Targaryens coming in, um, and 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 now, you know, are the head of the Stormlands, um, having taken it from the the Durandans. But the um, but it's interesting that the the other ho- the other great houses 
Aaron, Tully, um, Royce. Uh, they're just not mentioned, but right. Hightower. And yeah, Hightower, Hightower is the second most powerful house in the Reach. And I guess the Tyrells are up-jumped at this point, and maybe they don't have that much power yet. But but even even though they're technically the, the Lord's Paramount. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to, to, to see a list of who is the most important uh, people right now. And the mm-hmm. Hightowers are one of them, yeah. But that's it for Raina in this chapter. So she's having troubles at Fair Isle. Uh, the Lord of Fair Isle, the, the new Lord of Fair Isle, uh, Franklin, uh, he has her kicked out. She leaves without a fuss. She takes most of her retinue with her. She gets the Casterly Rock, and the Lannisters are trying to, you know, plot. Uh, even, um, even Lyman Lannister's bastard son, Tyler Hill, he's trying to make moves on her, and he's, like, openly talking shit about her her, her husband, Andro. And even some yeah. of the, the servant <laughs> servant women are also gossiping out loud by saying, you know, like, did Reyna and Andro even consummate their marriage? So they're trying to get, Lyman is trying to get that marriage going between Reyna and his son, trying to tie House Lannister into House Targaryen and try to finally make that uh, that pact go in. Yeah, and of course, like, I mean, all of this is is so reminiscent of Daenerys because once after this, Reyna starts going, starts wandering from place to place, just like Viserys and Daenerys did, where she mm. they'll like stay for a while and then they're welcomed at first and then people then they linger and people and then people start asking for stuff and they right. start asking for money right you know which is i mean it's the number of parallels to I mean, at this point it's overwhelming like you're just we're getting hit over the head with it like mm-hmm. okay um it's just you know it's just like it's just like you know the beggar queen kind of idea and her laying laying the dragons and everybody wanting wanting uh wanting this power um, I, I did say oh, it was the poor fellows, yeah, on the island that that were really scared of the dragons. So at this point, this is actually um, a, yeah, another point in which I guess you have the entire war against Magor, but another point in which the faith is just clearly against dragons. Which this this theme goes all the way up through the Dance of the Dragons. How much the faith of the Seven is against dragons? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of Magor, uh, his even though he's not around anymore. He's still kind of plaguing the realm in his own way because of all his wars. He left their their treasuries, uh, their treasury all uh, completely empty, and they're trying they're trying to get more money to build that dragon pit. Rogar wants this dragon pit build, and they keep taxing people. Nobody's enforcing it. They're not getting anywhere. And... Right, especially they said the West wasn't even they weren't even collecting in the West, mm-hmm. just showing how independent the West was. You know, like they, they had the nerve to not pay taxes so of course yeah they're not yeah. this is this is why i say like i don't even i don't even know if the lannisters accept jaharis as the king you know like it's hard to say because maester gildane you know just lies to us but it may be that they're all just saying no well you know i don't know maybe reina's maybe reina's the queen whatever the case i'm not paying my taxes you know Right. And Rogar's having other issues, too, because his own lands are being attacked by apparently a new vulture king from the from the, yeah. from the Dornish has risen up and they're conducting raids. Like we haven't heard from the Dornish in a couple of chapters. They've, they've been quiet. They've been doing their own thing. But of course, I'm sure House, House Martell is going to decline to have anything to do with this. Uh, but no, we have a new vulture king. And I will say, though, towards the end of this this chapter, they kind of miss an opportunity here to have uh, Rogar go away quietly but also trying to redeem some sense of honor by uh, trying to take out the Vulture King himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I know we're getting ahead thing, of ourselves a little bit. We're getting bit ahead here, of ourselves. Yeah, I, but... think, I think the faith... 
the thing is the faith rogar is the best agent the faith has right now um and so they they want him in power because they don't know what alternative they have Mm -hmm. you know and and they have to work on that you know um and we'll get to that because the faith of the seven is still trying to run the country and you know they still have the hope of that they they certainly don't want reyna in power because reyna is you know a dragon hatching uh riding queen that's that might usher in a new dragon age rogar you know he's trying to do his best to control jaharis uh and and maybe you know have dragons die off um in my opinion you know but and uh quite frankly i'm surprised jaharis didn't step in sooner because gilbane tells us that jaharis was annoyed over rogar overstepping with the marriage to his mother and that yeah. he thought and jaharis thought he was smarter than rogar is like who the fuck are you but at the same time, they make Gildane makes a special note that this was Barth claiming Jaharis said this, mm-hmm. and he does this twice because they they list this in the previous chapter as well that Jaharis was upset about Rogar and his mom's marriage. Um, I don't know what to say about it. Like Gildane is he's 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 such a contra- he contradicts himself constantly because he says oh you know jaharis he sat on all of the councils and he never was shy about interjecting and th- he says this and so and then all of a sudden he's he's angry and kept it to himself that and that no one consulted him about the about the wedding between rogar and Alyssa. Mm-hmm. like if you're on every freaking council and you're not shy what what happened what happened you know I have no, either Jaharis is malleable and was silent or, you know, or he wasn't, you know, it, none of it, none of it makes sense. Well, to um, be fair in Gildane's corner, once again, try to defend him a little here. The bias, the bias is there and it has been there for a long time. I mean, there's, there's, in the chapter, we, we, we reread that singers tell the tale of the romance between Jaharis and Alassane and they also make right. the others seem like villains because uh, apparently Rogar wanted to take the castle by storm until Queen Alyssa reminded them that they aren't dragon riders like her children are. So the singers yeah. do have a hand in weaving like what really happened. And, and clear, clearly time... one of his clearly one of his big sources is Septon Barth. So mm-hmm. you're, you're limited to what Septon Barth says. But yeah. But, so uh, speaking of rebellions, did you want to talk about the wall? Uh, you want to get into <laughs> that already? <laughs> well, that has to do with Magor. So this is... This is what's really weird about um, the wall. So there's this rebellion, and Gildane glosses over it a little bit. But you have Oliver Bracken and Raymond Mallory leading the poor fellows and the warrior sons. Leading. Mm. Which, now, this is a huge deal, because now we, go, we have to go back in reverse. <laughs> who, murdered, who murdered Magor? Right, I remember the the suspects for who, who of who married, murdered Magor are Eleanor Crostain, who rose in the faith afterwards. Right, and then you have the other one. The other suspect was were the Kingsguard, who these Kingsguard were sent to the Wall afterwards. Bracken and Mallory. Right. So, and they're leading the faith. So. <laughs> Maybe is great. I love it. I mean, he, this is the thing. It's like whether it was Eleanor Castaigne or whether it was the Kingsguard or whether it was both of them together, it doesn't matter because they're all agents of the faith. Right. Like Eleanor is is rising through the faith and is acting as an emissary for the faith. 
like for the rest of her life after the death of of uh, Magor. And Oliver Bracken and Raymond Mallory go to the wall and then end up leading the poor fellows and the warrior sons. Like why on earth, why on earth would the poor fellows and the warrior sons ever follow the Kingsguard of Magor? Like why would they, unless these guys were not faithful to Magor. Mm. Like if they were faithful agents to Magor, then the poor fellows and the warrior sons should hate these motherfuckers. You, you sat around defending this horrible guy who burned our people. Right. Like there's no way, there's no way they'd follow them unless Bracken and Mallory are agents of the faith as well. You think that's why uh, Jahari sent them to the wall because he didn't want any agents of the faith like in his corner. I think they were too compromised. I think they had too many stories to tell. Mm -hmm. I think he wanted to keep them silent. I don't think he trusted them. You know, honestly, yes, I, yeah. I love that conspiracy because to me, the whole rebellion—you're right—it does come out of nowhere. I just figured that they weren't ready for life at the wall. I mean, no one really is. Uh, well, that's that's what they're that's what they're pushing it as, but it's ten percent of the Night's Watch rebels. Right, ten percent—that's huge amount. Mm -hmm. they, he tries to put it the other way. He's like, "Oh, but nine out of ten didn't stayed stayed true," and you're like. Whoa, 9 out of 10 is not that many. <laughs> like 10% of the watch rebelling is a huge amount. Um I'm sure yeah. many other people probably wanted to rebel as well, but they knew they knew very well that how Stark would come in, which um do you want to talk about how Stark cuz I love this story. This I think the story is great. Well, I, okay, I mean I I I just, I just know the part where they 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 escape north of the wall and then join the wildlings and then the wildlings claim that they were eaten, but right. So doubtful. what happens is uh, doubtful they were eaten. Brandon Stark, uh, Lord of Winterfell, he dies um, mainly because he's coming back from the Golden Wedding and he dies on the journey, and uh, his son Walton succeeds him, and you know the rebellion breaks out and most of the men's Night's Watch at what is it, where is it Rim, Rhymegate? Yeah, Rhymegate and, and Sable Hall. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so Walton Stark grabs all his bannermen, they go up there, they take him down, he beheads some guys, but, uh, Mallory escapes, so, Sir Walton follows him through the wall, going beyond the wall, and while they're searching for him, they get beset by giants, and supposedly Walton slays two of the giants before he's ripped apart himself, and they bring his, his, the pieces of his body back. I love this story. First off, this is so... Such the tragedy of House Stark. I always feel like House Stark... <laughs> I always feel like House Stark always gets the most fucked up uh, endings in the story. Somehow, they always do. <laughs> but the... Um, but uh, I do wonder, you know, where all these warrior sons and poor fellows went. I mean, the... The, the the wildlings claim that they were they were eaten, which but of course the only cannibals among the wildlings are the the Ice River clans who are not who are not near here, mm -hmm. you know. So the, geographically, we're, we're these wildlings aren't cannibals, so they were not eaten. Um, the, I guess they just integrated into the into the wildlings and lived as wildlings, right? But, and it's just see see now now I'm falling into your conspiracy conspiracy rabbit hole here. And the ice giants just happened to uh, come across Walton and his his group of guys searching for those dudes while they're escaping. I I mean you might be onto something here. Right. I mean, they can return. I'm not sure anybody any of these people know what the person's head looks like. And that's the thing is returning heads is this reoccurring theme in our story, right? Of 
you you, you return ahead to prove that you killed somebody, but uh, you know no one knows what these people look like, or the head is is tarred, or it's just a skull, or it's rotted, and no one can really tell, right? right. We've got this reoccurring theme with with the dwarf heads to Cersei, and and Gregor's skull being brought to Dorne, and Bran being dipped in tar, and all of this different stuff that mm-hmm. bringing somebody a dead body doesn't prove anything. Burnt bones prove nothing. Right. Um, it's just the, the the reoccurring theme. So when they say like, oh yeah, you know, he's ripped apart and here's his head. Ugh, we have no clue. We have no clue. It's it's clearly a lie. What, I mean, these these gates are on the eastern side of the wall. Like the Ice River and the Cannibal Clans are to like the far north to the west. Like it's, we just have a, an entirely different geographical region mm-hmm. they weren't eaten um returning ahead um, is suspicious because we've had we've had just that over and over established in our story that it means nothing like, mm-hmm. but you can you can return ahead but that doesn't prove anything so that's that's what i'm saying i'm saying these guys are still alive <laughs> so they can lead more rebellions in the future they can Damn, lead more, more rebellions or, or something yeah <laughs> But uh, uh, Lord Walton Stark's uh, brother, he becomes the new heir, and he's pissed off at Jaehaerys because he feels like it's Jaehaerys' fault for sending these guys to the Wall instead of cutting them down when he had the chance. Yeah, you know, that's, that's all true. But to Jaehaerys, he <laughs> stays in Dragonstone for a long time. He doesn't even come out to celebrate the New Year. He doesn't go to King's Land or anything like that. And people wonder whether he was like a prisoner or he was sick with how much he stayed there. But uh, we also find out again that a good chunk of his days he spent training with his knights, and like by the end of his time on Dragonstone, he was good enough that people would uh, bet on him if it was if Magor suddenly rose from the grave. I think one of his uh, knights said that he would uh, put his coin on Jaehaerys. Yeah, and so this gets into um, the Targaryens and prophecy. So mm. clearly, Jaehaerys' training is a parallel to Rhaegar. Right. All of a sudden, he wants to he wants to you know, be a, be a warrior. Um, and Rhaegar did this after re- reading some scrolls and we go back in time and we, we, every Targaryen going back, uh, at least until, um, shoot, it's, it's Aenys the first, um, was the one that was also famous for, for reading prophecy, but that comes much later. That comes, you know, um, uh, during the Blackfire rebellions, mm-hmm. and so this is this is a one of the earliest notions that we have that the Targaryens are paying attention to prophecy because we later hear that that Jaehaerys is a bookworm and would read all sorts of scrolls. Um, this comes up this comes up later that that Jaehaerys is a scroll reader and he's coming out and he's and he's wanting to train just like just like Rhaegar. So. As early as Jaehaerys now, we have Targaryens reading prophecy and convinced that, you know, they need to do something important. Right. Um, which leads, which, which gives credence to the theory that Aegon, the Conqueror, was doing this as well. Um, which, you know, why he didn't marry, why he needed, why he didn't marry more than two wives, why, you know, the three heads of the dragon and all of this. Um, you know, there's this theory that that Aegon invaded because he was he was led by prophecy, and I I I, I agree with it. I believe it too. Um, mm-hmm. And this this is just more proof that the that the prophecy um, was in the Targaryens' hands earlier than we thought. Certainly earlier than than Aenys 
uh, Ares the first, not not um, um, Anis, uh, but um, you know, uh, now we know it's as far back as Jaehaerys. It's probably as far back as Aegon the Conqueror. Well, while Jaehaerys is doing all this over at uh, Dragonstone, Rogar and Queen Alyssa they have their plans to think about how to make sure this marriage between Jaehaerys and his sister Alysanne doesn't go through and that's when we come to a very weird part of the chapter we were just discussing this before we started recording um mm, yeah a weird book about a woman who they're trying to use to seduce jaharis to like leave alice sane like it was a rumor but uh her name was a uh, uh wild Corianne wild yeah so this came out of nowhere i, I kind of zoned out for a bit because <laughs> it, like, it goes on for pages and pages like you're like what the fuck is the point of it oh it's this woman who wrote Okay, and what? And then she arrives at an inn, and supposedly at that inn, Rogar's there to ch- you know strip her down, make sure she's okay, and that way, because his master plan was to have send this seductress over there and uh, uh, seduce uh, Jaehaerys and make him want to leave Alysanne or something. That was, I guess, it, his it was. Plan. It wasn't even that. It was. It was the plan is worse than that. The, the supposed plan, because and and this plan is bullshit. This is clearly not the real plan. But the plan being put forward by by Gildane is he she was being sent to prove Jaehaerys' infidelity so Alysanne would not want to um, consummate the marriage. Okay. Like it wasn't it wasn't even to have Jaehaerys choose her because that wasn't that wasn't even a possibility. Like you're he I think they even say like there's no way you're gonna marry Jaehaerys. Yeah, but you're gonna have a lot of jewels and stuff. Right, maybe you'll be, you know, be some sort of paramour and be be rich or something. And the whole thing was to turn Alysanne off by proving Jaehaerys' infidelity, mm-hmm. which is a ridiculous, ridiculous, like... That was their first plan. That was Rogar's plan. But that kind of backfires because they never hear back from her ever again. So they don't know if she went through with it, if Jaehaerys, like, you know... Uh, he he declined. And, uh, some some right. rumors. What are the rumors that Jaehaerys climbed into bed with her, but he was so bad that she kind of didn't care. Or the other yeah. rumor was that Alysanne would join them on occasion. Um, it, it's 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 ridiculous because one, you know, in feudal in feudalism, marriage isn't about love. Marriage is about power and alliances. Mm-hmm. And so, this idea that they're going to turn Alysanne off of her brother because of infidelity is a ridiculous plan. Cause she, why would, why would she care in a feudalistic world? Like Cersei dealt with Robert's infidelity or like Rogar Baratheon himself was, was famously uh, sleeping with women all over the place, including, you know, a whole slew of Lysine women on his wedding night. Right. I, it, it's, it's such a, such a comically, ridiculous plan that wouldn't work and wouldn't be thought up thought up of by rogar why would rogar like come up with that plan like well to be fair when it comes to like the women like rogar seems to know what he's doing like he's he's not as bad as robert but you know he's up there and uh like he he wouldn't he wouldn't think he wouldn't he he of all people knows about marriage being a, 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 a an agreement for power so i think that when we say okay, what was the real the real reason for sending Corian Wild? I think yes, I think Corian Wild was meant to seduce Jaehaerys. I think the plan was to try to have Corian Wild get pregnant. Hmm. 
Oh, interesting. And then you would have another Dragon Rider. I feel so... that That is true. That does uh, line up with what uh, Rogar was trying to do later uh, when we we'll get to that. But that makes a lot of sense. And I will say, though, like I feel bad for this poor woman. Gildane keeps saying like all of this <laughs> yeah. is rumor and whatnot. Like, okay, fine. But apparently this woman... The only reason they find out that this Korean uh, 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 wild scheme didn't work out is because eventually she shacks up with some random knight in in Dragonstone and they run off to es- Essos and <laughs> right like she has adventures there after that guy dies like it's crazy uh but uh i i don't know like for like 5 pages i was like what the fuck is happening here what are why, they talking why are they about? talking about this right. right what's going on here but of course of course this is the thing is because she disappears for so long and maybe she did sleep with Jaharis and get dragon seed in her um and then you're leaving open this possibility that she she births birthed some dragon rider in Iso somewhere and all of this different stuff, right. you know. Like did she get pregnant? Like this this whole story that could that could be birthed from from the adventures of Corian Wild. But <laughs> spin-off. That's the spin-off. That's the real spin-off. But uh that was Rogar's plan, supposedly. Uh Queen Alyssa's plan was <laughs> to have Alisane rethink the marriage to her brother. Um, with like wise women that Alyssa sends to join her daughters. Right. This, this is this is House. This is House Broom, mm-hmm. who we find out are super connected to the faith. One of them's married to the to Lord Tully, um, and so you can see that you know one has already been successful in twisting Lord Tully's mind to the faith. So right. the idea is if you get get her get them over there, they would uh, they would affect Alisane, and you know Alisane. To the Broom sisters' credit, Alisane does seem to be super religious later on in her life, um, and so I do, you know, I do think that the Brooms are are somewhat successful in what they do. Um, I just don't think they were able to convince Alisane to leave Jaharis. Right, but I do think they were. I do think that you know they were successful in making Alisane uh, um, more religious, more pious. They don't they don't get her to reconsider the marriage, and, and at one point they even join her because she's such like a she's such like a like a kind hearted person. They they eventually join her side in a sense. Yes, but uh, eventually the truth does come out in the realm about Jaharis and Alisane's marriage. Which which let's let's be let's be honest. Like Old Town must have known. Yeah, like instantly, mm-hmm. right? Like Old Town must have known for months. Right? <laughs> well, well, Rogar <laughs> right. goes there with like a bunch of guys, a bunch of his own men, and you know the the whole the whole stalemate ends with him backing off. But I, but I'm just saying, like, there's all these maesters and there's all these septons yeah. there. Like not a single like clearly one of those maesters or one of those septons sent sent a raven back to Old Town. Like Old Town must have known for months that this because they keep saying like oh there's got to be this calamity if if news gets out and it's like news is out <laughs> like <laughs> like there's no way that you're gonna you're gonna keep it a secret like news is out you know this maester Culliper Septon Oswick you know all these people like. Don't, Old Town knows. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Rogar gets annoyed with uh, Queen Alyssa, and he he basically says that she's weak and that they were fru- fools to crown Jaharis, and then they yeah. need to put him aside, which which really freaks out everybody on the small council, and everybody's like, "Whoa, what?" And he he someone's like, "You gonna take the throne for yourself?" And he's like, "No," but he's gonna send Jaharis. He wants to send Jaharis to the Citadel to become a maester, 
and to put uh, Aria, is that her name? Right, yeah, a- yeah. Aria on the Aria. throne instead. Uh, but eventually Queen Alyssa comes in and she, she tells Rogar that he serves at her pleasure as hand of the king. And she essentially takes back, you know, the whole, the pin, tells him to go back to Storm's End and they will never speak of his treason again, which I think is a great move on her part. But what happened in the couple chapters ago? This is not Aria, it's Rayella, right? Well, we don't know. Right. Oh, yes, right. We don't know. We don't know. I was like, Could be. I was wondering but, about that. Like, who is this really? But, but either either way, I mean, I wouldn't... The fate, this, is the, this is where Rogar fucks up. Mm-hmm. They ask him, who's going to rule? You? If he had said, fuck yeah, <laughs> I think they would have supported him. No. Maybe not... Maybe not. Uh, maybe not. Carl Corbray. Carl Corbray is is the big question. He might actually be the most important person because he's he. Carl Corbray controls the the city watch. Well, he so, actually stands up and draws his uh, Valyrian steel sword. When right, it sounds which like is Rogar which is, is going to be a traitor. Of course, of, and of course, this is a parallel to both um, Lynn Corbray and Littlefinger because Littlefinger is is the real controller of the city watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, during during the coup, and then of course Lynn Corbray, working for Littlefinger, pulls out his blade during during that meeting with the um, the Lord's Declarant right. in a feast for crows up in the Vale. Mm-hmm. You know we have this parallel here, but I think the other characters, because I think it's Tully and Grandmaster Benefer who ask uh, Rogar, "Do you plan on sitting on the Iron Throne?" I think they would have been totally cool. With Rogar sitting on the floor. No, no, there's no I do, way. I do. There's no way. The the way when he announced that, everybody's like, "What? What the fuck is happening?" No. But what? But but here's the thing. If you look at it through the lens of that, you look at it through the lens of they want to push the faith of the seven. They're anti-dragon. We're talking about putting Targaryens aside. Like you know, granted, dragons are an issue, and no one wants to get fried by dragons. Mm-hmm. But when they ask, "Do you want to sit on the Iron Throne?" And he says, no, I want to put Aria on. And it's like, well, no, like we're anti-Raina. She's got the, she's got the good genes that produce dragons. Mm-hmm. You want to put Raina's daughter on the throne? Wrong answer. Like that's definitely the worst person you could have recommended for, for the job. But yeah, it was also really dumb of him. Cause yeah, they, I mean, Jaehaerys, Jaehaerys has two dragons and, Raina has one, and actually by himself he has zero. But I, I do think that, you know, if dragons weren't in the if dragons weren't in the equation, um, and maybe Carl Corbray weren't in the equation, I think Tully and I think Tully and Grandmaster Benefer would have been totally cool with Rogar. Mm, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't think they would be willing to support uh, Rogar. He's too much of a loose cannon. But keep in mind, the High Septon came to King's Landing to wed him and Alyssa Valarian, you know, they were down with that control over Jaehaerys. Like, you know, Jaehaerys being this pawn of the faith, you know, and and Rogar being aligned with them. But I think at this point, once he says, no, I'm going to use, I'm going to use Arya, um, you know, no, no, we're done. You know, we're done with you. Well, he does try, before before he leaves Old King's Landing, he does try to, to uh, take uh, Arya out from her room, but Alyssa had uh, Corbray uh, hide her away just in time. And then he tries again by sending, I think, one of his 
little brothers to the Citadel to take Rayella, but he's stopped eventually by, you know, like a, a bluff from one of the, um, from one of yeah. the uh, former warrior sons to the High Septon. And uh, Hightower, I love, I love what Lord Hightower does, imprisons the, the Baratheons and their forces that come to the Citadel. And uh, when someone's like, well, aren't you afraid that, uh, you know, Rogar's going to come here and, you know, enact vengeance? He goes, what's he going to do? His wife took his hand and his balls. Like, what, what is he going to do? Like, oh. Yeah. Woo. And, and you would think Rogar, who, a guy who doesn't know when to stop, he doesn't like defeat, he's got to, you know, go back at it. Um, you would think that he would concoct some other scheme, but he's not a schemer. This is it. He's, he literally says, I'm done. I'm going to let, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to write a will saying that my brothers had nothing to do with it. It was all me. And our chapter ends with uh, yeah. Rogar finally claiming defeats and Jaehaerys finally turning 16. Just in time for, uh, what was it, a time of, time of festing? Um, uh, are you talking about the, the next chapter? The next chapter, chapter yeah. It's, it's, I believe it's t- called a time of festing. Okay. I think. I don't, um, I don't know. Well, let me check real quick. Let me check real quick. <laughs> but what did you think of, of this chapter, though? Because I, I we, well, we both liked it, but compared to the other chapters, are we gonna? You, we're gonna say the usual. It was better than what we've read so far. This is the best one so far. <laughs> time of a time of testing, not a time of festing. Right, right. I'm sorry. On my end, time, it's time. Uh, there you go. Time of testing. Right on my end. There it is. All right. Now my bad. I thought I saw an F there. But no. Yes, you're right. A time of testing. And uh, yeah, no, this is a pretty good chapter. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Game of Thrones esque style scheming here that I really enjoy. But I, I will say though, like they could have done a bit more Game of Thrones esque style scheming here, and instead yeah. it comes off really weird. Especially the part about that one woman, uh, uh, Corianne Wild, that just came out mm. of nowhere. Like I, I kind of zoned out a little. Like, what the fuck are you guys yeah. talking about? Um, this... But at this at this at this point, you can kind of look back at you know Baratheon's plan, like the the entire time you know in totality he was trying to get a dragon you know mm-hmm. and he was trying to consolidate power and rule you know he was trying to get a child he tried to have his brother marry Alysanne you know he went he's trying to control Jaehaerys he's he's trying to get Arya um, he he he's his plan is systematically like try to get a Targaryen to be proxy for him to rule, maybe marry into the family, try to produce, you know, a dragon rider himself. Right. And he just fails over and over and over and over again. Rogar Baratheon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Preston, before we wrap it up, can you, you have time for one more question? Uh, sure, sure. Oh, there's one other thing I wanted to mention before, before we move on from mm. this. And I want to say there's this neat thing in the middle where they say that there are no accounts of Alisane's childhood, which is oh, that's right, which is, which is of course this big focus on the sexism, like oh we know so much about about Jaehaerys, but but all of this there's all this silence on on the women, and of course Alisane in the end may be the smarter one, and she may be the one that really remade the realm, not Jaehaerys, um, but you know she does it silently from the back, you know it's the same with like Reyna's story here, Reyna's scheming and Reyna's collection is is much quieter because things aren't getting written down they're just not focusing on the women and of course you know the, this is up up george r. r martin's alley where you know he's trying to say that in history the women are there and they're influential but no one's writing anything down their names aren't remembered 
you know, they're um, that's that's you know, actually a nice catch, man. I, you, you're right about that. I mean, you get yeah. a lot of flack for the whole feminist thing, but uh, you have you really do have a point there. I mean, this is the literature we're reading, right? You know, like, even this is, still, this is, though, everything like, everything George R. R. Martin writes is feminist literature. So, still, you know, but we you have, have, we have to accept that. You have a point, though. Yeah. Like even in real, even our own real history, you have a point. Um, no, have you ever have you ever done genealogy and like tried to track like uh, you, you know where you come from? It's so hard once you go back a few generations where they're just like you'll see something blah 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 married, and then it'll just say you know Mary, and you're like ah oh, who is Mary? <laughs> you know like it's very tough. To, it's very tough to uh, to track things going back when you know when when they don't pay attention to the women. Um, okay, this last question. Though. Yes. What's this, what's this from question? Blair, uh, Blair from Patreon. She says, uh, do you guys think George will come out with Winds of, Winds of Winter or Fire and Blood Part 2 first? And what do you think George should do better on in the next Fire and Blood book? I, I like how she says, you know, what's, what's coming next? Winds or Fire and Blood Part 2? I would actually, at this point, I know a lot of people are going to hate me for saying this, I would actually like a Fire and Blood Part 2, but at the same time... Um, we did. We do need wins. That needs to be like this year or yeah. next year. Like, I mean, I think yeah, I think it has to be wins. Um, and I think there's a couple things as well as if he wants to write about Summerhall, I think there's some secrets at Summerhall that he can't write until wins is out. Yeah. Now, if you're gonna say if you're gonna say what's gonna come first, um, Fire and Blood Part Two or A Dream of Spring, I would say Fire and Blood Part Two, <laughs> but. But um, actually, you know what? I would say I would argue Fire and Blood Part Two should probably come after Dream of Spring because then he can cover Daenerys. It should. He it can should. cover Daenerys <laughs> and Fire and Blood Part Two, or uh, dare I say, Fire and Blood Part Three, could be uh, mm. after a Dream of Spring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, granted, I don't think we're ever going to get a Dream of Spring, and I don't think we're ever going to get Fire and Blood Part Two. Why do you say that? Um, I. <sighs> I just don't. I just 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 say it. Just 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 tell us why you think so. I mean, if we all know. We all, we all know. know. It goes. It goes without saying. Does it? Okay? I don't know. What's... We all know. What are you trying to say? All... <laughs> I'm saying it takes a long time to write these books. You know what? Like like um um when I was doing uh the the video like of uh, top top five shows that could overtake Thrones if they were made correctly, um. Oh, fuck, what was it? It was The Wheel of Time. The guy who was writing The Wheel mm. of Time, he wrote like 50 books. Not 50, but like... Robert Jordan, yeah. yeah you, you know yeah. about this? How he died and like mm-hmm. someone else had to come in and finish it up? Yeah. This is, this is a topic of discussion constantly in the community. And what I think will happen is with this, if what you're saying, um, I don't think anybody will come in and finish it up. What I think is that his wife or a family member will, will release his notes on what he planned for Dream of Spring. But I would like, uh, to the Blair's question, I would like Fire and Blood uh, Part 2 to come out after the final book because I I really do think like there's a great opportunity there for them to explore Westeros after the very last page in Dream of Spring. Like maybe mm-hmm. 20 years after whatever happens um, in the last book goes down. And as for what George can do better, I mean... I think he's doing... If... if... I think what he can do better is he can write it. He can write all of it like he's writing this story of Jaehaerys and Reyna. Like if he writes it more like that, then I think it, it will be successful. I mean, in, in my in my mind, mm-hmm. um, this is you know this is good stuff. Um, 
the, I think I think his what he was writing before Sons of the Dragon and Dance of the Dragons uh, stuff um, was a little too dry, and I think he does a really good job in these later. I think he's he's refined his craft in in getting that you know blend of of history and you know little flourishment here and right. there. You know, uh, what what can he do better? I mm, <clears throat> I'm I'm enjoying what he's doing so far. Like, what do you really want from a history book? You know, but I would like some. Def- uh, the definition um the, i want some defined history not well i don't want him to keep going well we believe that this happened no 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 more we mm. believe we know bro we know it's documents that's what i'm what i want <laughs> i want to know stuff i don't want to believe that might have happened i want to know well that, that then that means the problem with real history right we, yeah. we never know right. <laughs> but uh no. Preston, let's wrap this up guys thank you so much for joining us for surfeit of rulers and the q a this is a long video man <sighs> good luck with this one uh <laughs> for those of you wondering where this has been preston i'm always trying to get him on he's never available <laughs> Yeah, well, you know. I could tell from your silence. You're like really mad at me for saying that. I can't see you on video, but I could. If you were on, you'd be like, mm, "This motherfucker." <laughs> and now, honestly, it's it's, <laughs> it's so it's right now. It's just it's such a stressful time in my life. Like past couple months, it's just so much going. on. What are you on. talking about? You've had the greatest time ever. You went to Madagascar and Nepal. I would never fucking go to those places. Jesus Christ! But you oh, seem yeah. like you had a great time from the pictures oh, you showed no, me. No, in- incredible, incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like being back in DC and 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 shopping for a place to live mm-hmm. and going going back to work and all these sorts of things all at once. It's tough. It's tough. Well. Guys, you heard it from him first. We'll try to get as much out as we possibly can for you, because we I really want to wrap this up before Season 8, because we will be on the fucking podcast every week for Season 8. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for that. Um, think, you think we can do it? Jesus Christ, no. we've, only gotten to, we've only gotten to Servant of Rulers. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm looking at how much, this, how much more there is. We can, we can fit something here and there, you know? Like, how many... Keep going. Holy shit, keep there's keep a going. lot. I didn't even realize that. How many? One, two, three, four, five, six. We're only on the seventh chapter out of how many? Like 20? Oh my god. Eight, nine. Uh, guys, nine, we nine, may nine, have nine. to stretch uh, Fire and Blood to like next next year too. <laughs> we may take a pause when season eight comes. But uh, no, let's wrap this up. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. As always, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that good stuff. Please leave your thoughts and comments and questions down below. We will cover them maybe in a future episode. Uh, But as always, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one.